This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Hey there, and welcome to the Pioneer Agronomy Northeast podcast. This is our 18th episode on the week of October 5th. I am Chris Skews. With me, as always, is Emily Oligar. We are your hosts. Our topic today is harvest progress for 2020. Emily, who are our guests today? Yeah, thanks, Chris. Today, our guests are going to be Kevin Putnam, the Pioneer Dairy Specialist for Central and Western New York, along with Jonathan Rotz, who is a Pioneer Field Agronomist located in Pennsylvania. Um, so we'll start with Kevin. Kevin, could you just tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, I've been with Pioneer now for uh, 13 years as a dairy specialist in New York. Um, before that, I did some uh, animal or dairy nutrition work selling feed. Um, went to Cornell University for uh, uh, dairy science. But uh, yeah, main part of my career has been as a dairy specialist in the Northeast for Pioneer. Well, you're in a good place to be a dairy specialist, that's for sure. Uh, Jonathan, how about you? Can you share with our listeners a little bit about your background? Sure thing. Thanks for having me on. So, uh, Jonathan Rotz, I've been with Pioneer for 10 years now, uh, always in kind of central and southeast Pennsylvania. Um, prior to that, I was with Penn State Extension as an agronomist for them, serving mainly the same area. Uh, and actually, prior to that, was dairy farming for a little while, full time, and uh, master's from Virginia Tech in agronomy. Awesome. So we've got some really good experience on here today and lots of dairy experience as well. Yeah, this should be fun. Well, we'll start off with our odd and unexplained. This is where we uh, ask our agronomists and our speakers to tell us about something they've recently seen in the fields that could be odd and unexplained. Jonathan, do you have anything for us? Yeah, so um, not to be too much of a downer, but uh, my odd and unexplained is, you know, just another one of these uh, 2020 things where it seems like it keeps on packing some punches. And um, at least for my territory, a major frosting event in September is a pretty odd event. Now, there's some people out there that could be listening that say, oh, well, get over it. That's just what happens. But, you know, for us, um, we typically don't see this. And we actually had three days of a pretty hard frost. Uh, for the majority of our crops, they took it pretty well, um, you know, but where we really saw them, the, the worst part was in our double crop soybeans. So those, those definitely, and that's one of the things that makes it so odd for us. You know, we, we typically have a long enough season that our double crops just are never a problem, but we've had, you know, we've had anything from crops just get the top little bit ding to fully terminating um, some fields of soybeans out there in the double crop. So that, that's an odd one for us. Yeah, and I know it's hard to uh, estimate soybean yields looking at a field because they're, they're, each plant can be drastically different. But how do you think that's going to affect your yield? Do you think it's going to have a big, uh, a big part in, in your yield for the double crop beans? Yeah, so great question, Chris. So as I've been out this week uh, looking and assessing and, and a little bit last week as well, what I've been talking with producers about is I really look at, you know, what, what amount of photosynthetic area is left on that plant. For these plants where we've, we've pretty much frosted the entire plant, we've just got all these crispy leaves over them, that plant has pretty well terminated. 
Um, and again, this, this would depend somewhat on what double crop it is. You know, if we, if we had double crop after barley, uh, those soybeans are they're far enough along that they're probably gonna finish some things out. Um, if you're just starting pod fill and you get something like that, you're, you're really not gonna have anything. However, I would say the majority of the acres you know, we only have the top few trifoliates that really got dinged up by the frost. And, and that's actually, it's, it's going to take a little bit of yield off, but it's the better of the two scenarios where we still have a lot of that under canopy that still has a lot of ability to have photosynthesis. Um, you are going to see some black pods in there and some things that actually got frosted and those, those have been terminated. Those will not contribute to yield, but, but down in the lower canopy, will continue to, uh, to push some yield. So certainly not something that we wanna overreact and go you know, start terminating stands or mowing things off or doing anything like that. Um, but like a lot of things, you know, there, is, there is an aspect of wait and see and it's a good time to continue to just uh, scout and look at those crops and just see how they're coming. Yep, no, those are all great points. We don't like to see uh, frost in September when we have double crop, but uh... Thanks for bringing that up and making everybody aware of it so they can go out and look in their fields. All right, so today our main topic is our 2020 harvest um, progress and quality. So I guess just starting off, in general, we're kind of rolling through silage harvest here. How's harvest going in your area? We'll start with Jonathan. How's it looking this year compared you know, to years past? So, so silage harvest in our area is pretty well wrapped up. We've got a couple of folks that are still, you know, have some late planted silage that's coming off. Compared to years past, uh, overall, we're, we're down a little bit on tonnage across my entire area. We had some real dry spells um, that really pulled some things, things back. But, you know, along with that, some of that dry during vegetative, we're definitely seeing uh, some pretty good quality coming off of this. The other thing that's... Uh, really interesting in my area. Um, farmers kind of get sick of agronomists sometimes because sometimes we kind of like the bad years. Uh, it teaches us a lot. And so I've got areas of my territory that are extremely dry. And you know, we're, we're only getting half of the tonnage off of it that we normally would have. Um, however, I also have areas that are probably, you know, three quarters to 80 plus percent of their typical yield. The thing I like about that is, is at least from our standpoint of Pioneer, it gives me a lot of ability to look through our, our different hybrids and how they're performing in different environments in a single year and get a lot of, a lot of good data off of it. So progressing well, um, down a little bit, but overall decent quality is, where, is what I'm seeing. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's good to hear. And I've kind of heard similar things um, in this area as well. So as far as rain goes and moisture this summer, did it seem like there were any pockets in Pennsylvania that were getting uh, rain? I know in New York, it was kind of scattered throughout and we had some areas that turned out, you know, getting a little bit more moisture than other places. Um, do you think that attributed to the tonnage that was coming off? Absolutely. And it was, it was extremely sporadic. I, I've been joking with a lot of guys that I've, I've been telling them and saying, hey, if you either like or you don't like what you see, drive another mile and you'll see something totally different. Um, it changed a lot. Now, however, you know, as, as I somehow, I guess Chris is doing some good things because the further I push down towards him, uh, the better things get. And maybe that had something to do with a hurricane that dumped a lot of rain or Chris is just doing something really well. But the eastern part of my territory, we did get uh, a lot of rain through uh, a hurricane there in the 
you know, middle of the season. And that is probably where the most consistent yields are coming from that Lancaster, Chester County area and down into some of the uh, eastern part of Maryland. So yeah, it definitely had a lot to do with the rainfall. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, Chris, if you figured out how to control the rain, please let the rest of us know. I wish um, I could. <laughs> what about you, Chris? What have you been seeing in your area? We kind of touched on a little bit, but how was how harvest going in your area this year? Yeah, so, uh, you know, the little bit of silage that we do have on Delmarva Peninsula is has been done, and uh, we, we're well into grain harvest, and like Jonathan, it is definitely um, a wide range, but mine is north to south, so you know, kind of where Jonathan's talking about, we, we get close there on the top of the Delmarva Peninsula. Um, they're going to have some of the, the best year that they've, they've had in a long time there. And they actually uh, ended up getting some good timely rains there. But as you move farther south, uh, it gets worse. And I was down uh, by the Bay Bridge Tunnel there in Virginia. And I was in a field that literally had an ear for every four stalks. Um, and they actually ended up, it, it was about 30 bushels what that cornfield averaged. So we have the, uh, the whole wide spectrum there um, from top to bottom. And they, down there, they just really had um, some really hot, dry weather that came in and certain maturities at time, believe it or not, down there, their 100 day and 103 day is gonna be their best yielding dry land that they have. And their 110, 111, 114 days are just devastated. And that's what's key is making sure that you are doing a range of maturities and not putting all of your eggs in one basket because we don't know what next year is gonna bring on weather. We don't know when the heat's gonna be here. You know, We don't wanna hit all of our corn and, and pollination. Like I tell guys, you can either be a hero or zero if you put all your eggs in one basket as far as the maturity. So spreading that out, spreading that risk out is key. We definitely saw that this year. Yeah, no, that's a good point. You touched there on my next question for you, which was going to be products or practices that you've seen um, that have really had an impact this year. But yeah, definitely looking at lowering your risk using different maturities. So I guess we should ask Kevin, our dairy specialist, uh, what did you see with silage harvest up in New York this year? We uh, had a pretty good harvest, actually. We um, Same thing as they're they're talking about you know, uh, south of here in, in PA and Delmarva, uh, very spotty rain, a dry year. Um, you go on one farm from the north part of the farm to the south part of the farm, the difference an inch or two of rain could have made has been huge. Um, but we had a pretty good harvest. Again, we didn't have the rain really until the last couple of days here. So uh, once guys started, they were able to just go. Uh, didn't have to worry about mud or anything like that. We did have a frost. Uh, some areas got three days in a row of frost last week, so that that adjusted things, made guys have to speed things up a little bit. But um, it, yeah, progress was good this year um, as far as weather went, and uh, pretty much central western New York is done. There's a couple guys still still doing some. Then you go east, eastern New York, northern New York, into New England, and there's there's still some guys chopping at this point out that way. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds kind of similar to, you know, other places with that variability. Um, so what about practices or products that you've seen Kevin kind of take off and really support good um, tonnage this year with silage? Yeah, actually, 
Chris hit it on the head there. We've, um, we're just starting to get some of our uh, data back now from, from silage plots that we've done. Um, and we've, we've got a lot of newer products in the early 90-day range, and they're doing really well. Um, again, like Chris said, some of the earlier day products uh, are, uh, are yielding right up with some of the longer day products and some of the plots now. So, um, but, you know, we had three new products between 90 and 95 day, and uh, all of those did really well through the drought, um, really well early on. And, uh, yeah, as far as yields we're seeing so far, we don't have all the quality data back yet from them, but yields and performance through the drought, they, they handled it as good or actually better than some of the products that we put them up against that we've had around for a while. Nice. Yeah, good to know. It's always good to keep updated um, on what you guys are seeing out in the field and keep us posted with any of that other information that you get back um, here a little later on. So another question I had, what are the drawbacks um, in general to harvesting early or late um, when you get into that? So I'll let Jonathan take this one. Yeah, so whether it be silage or grain, um, <clears throat> there's definitely this ever ever flexing and moving point of, of harvest and you definitely give and take if you go forward or back on it. And it really comes down to economics. So um, silage, you know, when we think about that, the later we push silage, the more opportunity we give for that plant to accumulate starch. You know, that's naturally what a corn plant is trying to do is it's trying to produce as much starch harvestable grain as possible. If we allow that plant to stand longer, especially still a healthy plant, you know, we didn't have frost or something like that, it's gonna to continue to accumulate starch, sometimes up to a point, a point per day. And that's a huge economic incentive to a dairy or anybody doing silage to try to have it out there. On the backside of that though, however, is obviously whole plant moisture is extremely important to us because it is silage, it has to insile. So we have to have the ability to get that to go through a fermentation process, which takes moisture. So again, we need to make sure that we have enough moisture there to ensile well, to be able to pack it well, and, and just have a good product coming out the backside when we're feeding animals. But we wanna to continue to have, have that starch accumulation as well. I think that question also goes really well into some things that I'm seeing right now on the grain side. And that, that comment is always, you know, do I go in right now where my, where my grain's a little wet and I'm gonna either get docked or I'm gonna to need to dry it or do I just let it stand out there and see what happens? Um, and one of the things that I'm seeing, not widespread, but I'm starting to get some calls on and seeing in the field is just some, some ear molds and some cob rots and things out in the field. And, you know, I guess one of the things I always tell producers is things rarely get better as you land, let things in the field, you know? Um, you've got, you've always have this ability to have, whether it be down corn or or ear rots and molds start in, especially as we start to get some rain here again. Um, and so that's the drawback to letting it stand on a grain side. However, the, the economic negative to just going in and grabbing it at a higher moisture is obviously some of your profit will go into drying costs. And if you've got an on-farm system, that's not a huge deal. Um, it's, you know, a, a couple of cents. If you're taking it straight to a mill, there, there's definitely some docking charges to that. So has to be something and it sounds like a broken record, but it comes back to the fact of be out there scouting your fields, knowing what's there. If you've got some grain quality issues starting up, it's definitely worth getting them off, getting them through a dryer, getting them dried down. If you're feeling like you've got really good grain quality out there, good stalk integrity, 
you know, maybe you can let it try to get another point or so, but definitely around that 20% stage, really getting, getting hammering and, and, and into that field. Yeah, those are some awesome points. I feel like we see that a lot um, in agronomy uh, in general and just, you know, you got positives and negatives to everything and nothing's clean cut and clear, um, but that's kind of what keeps it interesting. Uh, Kevin or Chris, do you have anything to add to that? I can add some things for uh, New York here. I mean, so, um, you know, Jonathan already hit on it as far as silage goes, but it was a, it was an interesting, I'll call it a dance this year for us because, you know, like Jonathan talked about, we were trying to get our, our milk lines uh, down and as close to black layer as possible to maximize that starch and yield. But in areas where it was really dry and they didn't get, again, a couple of those rains that might have happened in, in August, um, the plants were drying down before the ear was really there. So we were doing a lot of moisture checks and really trying to find corn that was, you know, for, far enough along and it's... Um, and it's milk line stage or it's ear development, but, you know, not letting the plant get too dry um, so that, you know, we didn't get a good pack or a good fermentation. So yeah, this year in New York, it was, um, it, it, it was a, it was a dance to try to figure out when we were going to start because the plants were dry. The dry matter wasn't necessarily, it was good. It was where you could have went, but the ear wasn't there. So how much did we want to wait? How many acres did we have like that so that we could get caught up if, things did get a little too dry. So there was a lot of those conversations happening this year. And then when, when that frost did move in, uh, some of those plants, you know, really dried up, but we were chasing it. Yeah, it does sound like, like a dance. That's for sure. Chris, did you have something else you wanted to add to that? Yeah. So no, I, I agree with all of them. And, and it's always the, uh, the dilemma that we have, right? What's too early and then what's too late. So the thing that I like to make sure that growers think about is kind of what Kevin hit on right there was, you know, if you start at the perfect time to harvest, when you start your crop, by the time you're done, it's way too dry or way, you know, way past ideal harvest. So try to time that out and try to think about how long should it or will it usually take me to harvest and then I want to hit the middle of my harvest to be the ideal you know um, harvest window so when do I need to start in order to make that happen so try to think ahead of that don't just start when it's ideal because then once you end your harvest you're going to be way out of ideal and way too dry so think about that yeah, that's true. It takes some like pre-planning on that end, um, kind of looking at everything before you decide that now it's time. Um, but yeah, really pre-planning on all that stuff. So another question I had, I heard this term phantom yield loss, and I'm not really familiar with what it means. And I'm just curious if you guys can explain it to me and if some of our growers are listening, uh, what that might mean to them as well. So uh, again, we'll just start with Jonathan. Yeah, so this idea of phantom yield loss is that as, as you allow corn to dry in the field, and there's been some studies on this, but basically the longer you let that stay out, you actually are losing yield. So think about it as if you had the exact same field and you go and harvest half of that field, and, and let's just for pretend, say the entire field was a perfect platform of you know, 200 bushels, whole way across. And you you harvest half of that, you get your 200 bushels, say it's at 20 or, you know, so percent moisture. Now, 
you're going you're gonna to take the other half of that and say, well, I really want to make sure that I get that dry. I'm sick of getting docked and I let that stand. What, what happens is in that drying process, there is yield that is lost. Um, so it comes back to, to your point before, Emily, yeah, there's a lot of these things. The, the, famous, the famous line for an agronomist is, well, it depends, right? So the thing to understand, though, is that you are giving up yield as well by letting this crop stand in the field. If that is the case, then that also offsets some of that drying cost. And that's something that we got to keep in mind, that it's not just simply this cost of drying, but it's also a protection of yield. And that phantom yield loss is without any of those anti-quality factors we were talking about before. That's just in kind of a perfect world scenario. So this is one of the things I like to really encourage guys. If, if you know things are not, go not going to do anything but get worse, and then there's also this phantom yield loss aspect to it, that means that we are protecting yield and quality by drying that grain. So it's not always something we have to look at as just a cost. It's actually also a revenue enhancer because we've got a little more yield, we've got better quality grain, so we can actually, you know, um, get a better, a better price, more price, however you want to look at it, more crop off of that field. And gotcha. So that makes a little bit more sense than just hearing, you know, phantom yield loss of like, oh, what does this mean? It must be, you know, something that's magical and not real. So yeah, it's that's not good. just that jerk agronomist that keeps going in and grabbing a few years to figure out, you know, what's going on. <laughs> makes more sense now. So Chris, do we want to move on with our weekly watch outs for this week? Yeah, uh, before I, that, I, it just came to me and I was thinking about it. Guys, when we started pulling plots and in, on the Delmar Peninsula, we're 40% irrigated. So some of it, we don't have to worry about rain as much. And But we weren't seeing the top end yields out of those plots that we just put everything into. And when I pulled the weather data, our solar radiation in the middle of July until the end of the year just went down in the basement. I mean, it just went straight down. It, it was, it was kind of crazy to see that graph on how much our solar radiation or our sunlight um, was below average. Are you guys seeing that? Yeah, really good catch, Chris. And that's something I've been, I've also been chatting a lot with producers. Um, I was seeing that. In fact, earlier before harvest, I started looking into some of that on some of our PKPs just because I was noticing an extreme amount of tip back um, on some hybrids. I mean, we've got hybrids we know are gonna tip each and every year, but it seemed like we were maybe tipping back a little bit more than, than I had expected. So that was one of the first things. And, and to be quite honest, you know, we were crazy dry. And so it seemed counterintuitive that we would have had low solar radiation because we always think about dry means bright blue sunny skies, but Interestingly enough, even while we were dry, we were having some really uh, pretty major temperature swings. Um, we had some pretty overcast mornings, uh, and we did have a fair amount of cloud cover that was coming through, just not producing any rain. And it's something to really keep in mind. And so I totally agree that that top end yield, it seems like, you know, maybe wasn't quite there as much. And and the other side of that, that I, that kind of leads into some of this idea of watch out is typically under that situation, stock integrity is not the best thing in the world because those plants can't photosynthesize at the end to finish out those ears as well as they'd like to. And we will start to pull some things out of the stock. And, you know, so 
going back to that idea of, you know, it's not always the worst thing in the world to dry some grain because, um, you know, at least gets it off and protected in the bin. Yeah. Kevin, have you seen that at all? Did you have a, a solar radiation deficiency up there? No, we were pretty much, uh, we were good on solar radiation, but a lot of the, the things that Jonathan talked about as far as uh, temperature swings and things like that, uh, we did see that all um, up here. Um, yeah, I, I I haven't specifically looked at the, the solar radiation and the plot data, but uh, just thinking back, we, we had we had a lot of sunlight, um, but we are seeing, and yeah, we are seeing some of the same issues that Jonathan just talked about. Yeah, that that rolls us right into our weekly watch out here. Uh, Jonathan, what do you think that our growers need to look at seven to 14 days and make sure they stay on top of? Yeah, like we kind of just started talking a little bit about <clears throat> and maybe touched on earlier too is I think a lot of it has to do with um, just the overall condition and quality of that crop that's standing out there. So one of the things I've been getting some calls on and, and out in the field seeing as well is there's definitely some some uh, common ear rots and, and even some not so common ones. Uh, seeing a fair amount of fusarium, uh, not to the point where it's going to be a major problem, but it's getting started. Uh, so that's one of those things we don't want to we don't want to push that to the place where it really blows up in our face, especially we keep on getting some moisture on those ears. Um, one of the ones that's maybe not as common that I'm, I'm seeing around is um, nig nigrospora, it's called. It's just a cob rod. If you break that cob, it looks really yellow. It gets kind of squishy. I'm seeing that mainly on the tips right now. But this is the kind of thing that I have conversations with the growers. When I start to see that, that, that entire cob will continue to get that rot through it if we let that go. So those are some of the things I prioritize that field to say, while that cob is still having good integrity, we know it's in that very tip of that cob. Let's go ahead and get this thing off. You have a field maybe right next to it that doesn't have that problem. Hey, that one can stand for a little while. A lot of it just comes back to being in that field, really taking a, taking a look at the quality of that grain, the quality of the stock. Get in there and get rough with your stalks a little bit. Push them over and, and know whether that thing has the standability to last or not. So that's that's going to be the stuff over the next few weeks I'm really looking for and I would encourage our growers to do as well. Yeah, you bring up good points there. And we've definitely seen some ear molds as we've had this moisture here late and uh, and not had as much sunlight. Won't dry those, uh, those cobs out. So my... Uh, I guess my point to, to add on to that too is all, all the different hybrids have different ratings for those ear molds as well. So some of them are gonna be more susceptible than others. So if you had a problem this year with your ear molds, make sure you're sitting down with your seed dealers and going through that. And if that's something you wanna stay away from for years to come, you know we have different ratings in there that we can help you make sure that we're picking the right hybrids for each one of those fields. All right, thanks, Jonathan. So thank you all for joining us today on the Pioneer Northeast Agronomy podcast. If you have any questions regarding anything we discussed today, please contact your local Pioneer sales rep. Be sure to tune in next week when we're going to discuss the 2020 to 2021 True Choice program for the Northeast on both the Pioneer side and the crop protection side. For more information, you can follow Jonathan Rotz on Twitter at Rotz, R-O-T-Z, Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N. And for more information on harvest, you can visit pioneer.com backslash yield. 
Make sure to tune in next week when we discuss the 2020 to 2021 True Choice program for the Northeast on both the pioneer side and the crop protection side. To listen to the full library of Pioneer Northeast Agronomy podcasts, you can search Pioneer Agronomy Northeast on your podcasts app. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.